Hello and welcome to night number one of 31 Nights of Frights, year four, the Stephen King of Horror. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. Alright, so for everyone out there, 31 Nights of Frights is a spinoff and actually the originator of my Adam Analyzes podcast. This is my annual celebration of horror films for the month of October, so that means 31 different horror films over the course of 31 days. If you haven't guessed by now, the theme this year is going to be Stephen King adaptations or ones that were written specifically by Stephen King for the screen. Some of these had to be left out, such as Creepshow, considering I did Creepshow, I think, in year two of 31 Nights of Fright. So if you want to check that one out, feel free to do so. So with that said, I think we need to lay out some rules. I'm going to try to not directly compare the film to the book. That is almost an unfair comparison. Not only that, there's a good chance that I didn't read that book. So I really didn't want to make a comparison over well, this is better or that's better, specifically because I probably did not read it. I also think it's unfair to compare the two mediums. If I do make an actual direct comparison, which is bound to happen, I either looked it up as far as story differences between the two, or if I feel that the movie may have gone in a different direction from the book, I will point that out. But as far as direct comparisons, I really don't want to do that here. It's probably not fair to either the book or the movie at that point. As we all know, Stephen King writes a lot of different things. He not only writes horror, he also writes some really good drama with some horror or supernatural elements in it. That means that some of them that's not going to be here is going to be The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me, Dolores Claiborne, really the list of Stephen King drama films goes on, but you're not going to find any of that here for these 31 films. We're focusing specifically on horror, so we need to have films that have some horror elements at the very least. Now with that out of the way, I think we should go ahead and start the episode. Starring Tim Curry, Richard Thomas, John Ritter, Jonathan Brandis, and Seth Green. This is the 1990 Tommy Lee Wallace-directed ABC miniseries event, It. By now, I think we all know the story for It, especially if you're a horror fan or if you grew up with this one or checked out and enjoyed the two-parter It film series. The general story involves the social outcast, The Losers Club. They have a deep fear of a unspeakable evil, which generally takes the image of a demonic clown known as Pennywise. 30 years later, everyone is all grown up and an event causes them to go back to Derry to face the ultimate evil and the source of their fears. As far as it goes, I like both versions of the different adaptations. I enjoyed the newer ones. I also really have a soft spot for the original miniseries, and that's mostly because it was a big event for me when I was a kid. This came out in 1990, which means I was probably about six when it aired. I was definitely into horror at an early age. I wanted to see all the scary movies, and this was one that I knew Stephen King even at a young age. I knew that this was 
what was known to me as the be-all end-all of horror, even though if he's not really, but that's what I thought when I was this young kid and I wanted to make sure that I caught the miniseries. Thankfully, my mom let me watch it because I honestly have nothing but good memories for this 1990 adaptation. I think it has great casting. Tim Curry is perfect as Pennywise. I prefer him over Bill Skarsgård in the new one. It would have been nice if they could have gotten Tim Curry back for the newer ones, but we all know that that would be a little impossible. Yes, Tim Curry is still around, but he would not be able to do the physicality needed. I thought Bill Skarsgård was actually really good in the new one, but Tim Curry holds a special place in my heart as the ultimate Pennywise. But you had all these different actors in the movie. I think it was a big deal to get all these actors for a miniseries event like this. You have Tim Reed, you have Richard Thomas, Annette O'Toole, Harry Anderson, John Ritter, Richard Masseur, who I'm sure you've seen in other things such as like Mr. Boogity or even in the anthology film Nightmares. He seemed to be popping up in a ton of different films in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s. We can also say that they did a great job on casting the kids. I mean, you had Jonathan Brandis as well as Seth Green. Yes, the Seth Green of Robot Chicken and Family Guy and a whole bunch of other movies throughout the 80s and 90s. And he still is acting. He mostly does voice work now, but still. It was cool to have all of these different actors put together for this ABC miniseries event. And it really was an event. I remember ABC really hyping up this miniseries. It was a big deal. And I think it actually helped people get into horror to show them that horror was not just blood and gore all over the place. Even though I know a lot of it was toned down from the book because they had to abide by those standards and practices but it doesn't change the fact that I have memories of being at the supermarket that Sunday because we usually shopped on a Sunday to get groceries for the week. I remember we had to get home at 9 o'clock so that I could watch this, but I guess it kind of helped that my mom wanted to watch it too. I was actually not alone with being one of the kids that wanted to watch this movie. This movie had a reputation of being so incredibly scary and it's honestly kind of tame. I do like that we get that childhood sentimentality that was present in the movie Stand By Me. It seems to take a lot of nods from that, and I got that with watching this one as well as the new film. It's nice to have the childhood drama thrown in there. I think a lot of us can probably relate to the Losers Club and all the different characters and everything that they go through. Uh, there's lots of things that happen during childhood, childhood trauma that is unresolved as adults, but we learn to just get on with our lives and move past it. The difference is, is that the Losers Club, they didn't. Even if they forgot events after they moved away from Derry, it still affected them subconsciously in their adult lives. The horror that is actually presented here is probably as bad as it could have been on network TV back in the day. Of course, now you can get away with a lot more on TV. Back then, you couldn't. 
Apparently, ABC network executives were really watching heavily to make sure that this adhered to their strict standards and practices. They didn't want to get an FCC fine or anything like that, which I understand. It's just when you're gonna go and adapt a horror book by Stephen King, you have to know that you have to have some semblance of horror, and the horror is actually very light. A lot of the kids that were traumatized by Pennywise, mostly because he's a clown with sharp teeth, I think if they were to watch this movie today, they would be shocked at how tame it is and that it's actually pretty poignant with sentimentality as well as the loss of things such as the loss of a sibling with Georgie in this film. Whenever I view the original IT film or even the newer ones, I like to think that Pennywise doesn't exactly exist, but it's more or less like a shared paranoia. The things that the kids are going through, whether it's that childhood loss of your brother or in the case of Beverly with her father and his in the case of Beverly with the physical abuse from her father and his unwanted advances towards her. I know that this was kind of glossed over here in the 1990 adaptation. In the newer ones, we get a little bit more of that. So they were able to expand a little bit further with the characters. It would have been nice to have a little bit more of that expansion and understanding, but with what's presented here in this 1990 version, it's actually presented pretty well. The movie does focus more on drama, I feel, than actual horror, which is just fine. I'm fine with having those horror elements. We do get that shared horror and shared paranoia amongst the group, and I think that's really the heart of it. I do know that the book talks about Pennywise being more or less the evil of the town, the racism, the homophobic residents of Derry, they're really the things that bring out the evil in the town. It's an interesting way of looking at it, and I think that's something that was actually present in the newer IT films as opposed to this one. So that means that a lot of the deeper themes are toned down. So they really did do a sort of Cliff Notes version of IT. I really am fine with that. As much as everything is toned down from the source, it still works as a movie and the movie is perfectly enjoyable. It's almost a film that if you watched the new ones and tried to watch the old one, then it's going to ruin your experience with it. However, if you have those memories of the original 1990 version of it and go and proceed to watch that before watching the newer ones, you would have just a fine experience with it. The movie really does work. I like some of the scenes with Pennywise. You have the thing in the library with the busting of the balloons with the blood all over the place. It's a really cool scene. I'm glad they were able to include that. Another standout scene for me that may be one of my favorites involves Ben seeing his father who gradually becomes Pennywise. The end of the scene is complete with a reanimated corpse. I really liked how the creation looked. I know it was more graphic in the book, but it was pretty cool here. I thought it had a great payoff type of moment. As far as smart decisions on this movie, I think ABC was probably wise to get director Tommy Lee Wallace to do this one. Tommy Lee Wallace was a collaborator with John Carpenter. He also directed the very underrated Halloween 3 season of The Witch. 
yes, there's many, many scenes that still don't hold up today with some of the acting, but I really do think that having somebody who directed a feature film before, I think it was a great decision because it still adds to the cinematic feel to the film, even if you won't confuse it for a actual that would have made its way to theaters. With what's presented here, I feel it works, and it mostly still holds up. The 1990 version of It really was revolutionary. It got that Stephen King miniseries event kicked off. Of course, we had other miniseries such as like Salem Lot and stuff like that that came before it, but this was really the one that solidified the event that was a brand new Stephen King miniseries. I'm going to be covering most of them here. I do know that there's some later day ones that are out there. But this year we're going to, on those miniseries, really focus on the prime era of Stephen King events that were on TV. Mostly ABC. It really was something that peaked with the adaptation of The Stand directed by Mick Garris, which I did cover on a Adam Analyzes. So that's the reason why The Stand will not be presented here on 31 Nights of Frights, even though it does deserve to be here. Having rewatched it, it really did take me back to the simpler time, and I think that's one of the themes of the film itself. The joys of childhood. It never actually went and traumatized me as a child. I never thought it was super scary when I was a kid. But I can understand why looking back on it, as much as I look back on this with rose-colored glasses, looking back on it, some of the other kids that watched it that were around the same age as me probably look back on it with slightly foggier, maybe a more of a dark gray type of glasses. I have this one as my preferred version of the movie, even if I do really, really like what they did with the remake or reinterpretation of it. This is one you should definitely check out if you haven't. It would, at the very least, be an interesting curiosity if you have only seen the newer ones. But with that, I'm going to close out night number one. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. If you don't do the whole social media thing, you can send me an email at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. This, of course, is a part of the Adam Analyzes podcast. So if you need to catch up on some past episodes, you can do so at adamanalyzes.com. And the last thing, if you do have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you would, for one, tell a friend about this podcast. And for another, if you would go and leave a five-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice. It'll allow me to reach new listeners as well as create new content. But with that being said, be kind and good night. I'll see you tomorrow on night number two.